0: Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to ju 3 projectorg and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by another special guest, Dr. Carmen Imes. Welcome, Dr. Imes. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. I'm so excited uh, to talk about your book and your research. Uh, But before we dive into that, just tell our audience a little bit about who you are.
1: Mm. I am currently uh, serving as associate professor of Old Testament at Biola University. It's a brand new position for me here in Southern California, and I get to teach undergraduate students Old Testament all week long, and I absolutely love it.
0: Awesome! My my good friend Craig is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have you met Craig? I'm sure not yet. Okay. <laughs> he runs the apologetics program there at Biola, so. Okay. Uh, We've done. We have, we did, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say we have so many faculty. It's going to take me a while before I meet them all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, our first uh, apologetics conference was done in conjunction with Biola's oh,
1: apologetics fantastic.
0: department. So um, nice. And I just visited there like a couple months ago to see the chapel. Oh yeah. So uh yeah, nice. have uh, nice. uh, some close connections to Biola. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're excited to, to have you there. Um you have a book uh called Bearing God's Name and it uh focuses on uh a reunderstanding of taking the Lord's name in vain when people mm-hmm. hear, you know. Uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. They think mm-hmm. of swearing mm-hmm. uh, of some sort, but your research has yielded kind of a different view of that. Uh, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about how, how you've thought through that and where you've landed on, on, on that subject? Sure. Yeah.
1: Here's the book for those who are watching, um, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters it is the fruit of my doctoral work i wrote my dissertation on the command not to take the lord's name in vain and what i was working on was sort of chasing down a hunch that the ways that we've understood it are not actually what it's what it means and so you most of us have thought of it as a prohibition against swearing like using god's name as a swear word uh, but actually my investigation Convinced me that we've gotten it wrong, and that actually this command is speaking more broadly to the Israelites as the people who bear God's name. It's as if God has put His name on them, like tattooed them uh, with His invisible tattoo, saying, "You are mine. You belong mm. to me, and therefore, um, you need to represent me well among the nations." And so He's He's asking them not to bear His name in vain. Um, you know, in similar ways that we might think of like a sports team. Is is wearing their team jerseys. So let's say Biola's basketball team is going to go play in a away game wearing Biola jerseys. And if they totally misbehave, if they trash talk the ref and the other team, and they they ruin the the um what's it called (laughs) the room where people change the dressing room like the locker room. That's yeah, locker room. (laughs) I'm not an athlete. Um, If they if they totally trash the locker room, um and you know they they're using bad language all the time, that is going to give people a bad taste in their mouth about Biola. It's Mm -hmm. it's going to misrepresent the school and everything that we stand for as a Christian institution. So in a similar way, God is telling the Israelites, the nations are watching you and you are my representatives, so don't misrepresent me. So of course that would include the way we talk about him or the way we use his name in speaking it, but it's way bigger
0: than that. Mm-hmm. That's helpful because I, as you're th- th- t- uh, talking about that, I I could only think of like how we're navigating. We do a series called "Why I Don't Go," um, mm-hmm. where we talk to young adults who left the church, and most yes. of the reasons people leave the church are because people <laughs> are yeah. are not representing God correctly, yes. and so yes. He knew that this was going to be a problem. That's why the commandment. As you're mm-hmm. saying, was in, was initiated? Like this is the reason why people don't uh, want to come to church. This is the reason why people yeah. don't want to be associated with Christianity because of yeah. the ways in which we we uh, mis misrepresent uh, God.
1: Yeah, that's such a great tie-in, and I think we are in a cultural moment in which the church's failures are being broadcasted far and wide. You don't Mm -hmm. have to go even, you can't even go a week without seeing a headline that talks about a Christian leader or a denomination that has failed, failed to protect people from abuse, um, failed to handle funds well, failed to actually live by the moral standards that they proclaim from the pulpit. And so it is so, this is so important because you're right, people are walking away from God because of what they see in people. And because of, of what they see in people who claim to belong to God, who claim to follow
0: Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's helpful because it shows like there's a deeper understanding when you just mm-hmm. think, you know, I've heard, do not take the Lord's name in vain.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're like,
0: oh man, like, am I saying something where you, mm-hmm. you hit your your uh your foot and you're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> or something like yep, that. And yep. you're like, did I just take the Lord name in vain? And right. it's like, it's way deeper. than It that is. What it, it is. is. And if,
1: if if you think about the Ten Commandments, this is right up near the top, like right mm. after no other gods we have, don't take my name in vain. And it's a little strange. It would be it would have been a little strange for God to put such a small thing near the top as like, don't say my name, you know, as a curse word when you stub your toe. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's way bigger than that. It has to do with representation. So the way I see it is the first two commands, the command to not have other gods, not worship other gods, and the command not to take God's name in vain. Those are two sides of the covenant formula. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an exclusive allegiance to God, and then there's supposed to be an exclusive um, allegiance, like a... a as Michael Heiser would put it, a believing loyalty that your belief actually translates into action. Mm-hmm. And and other people can tell you belong to God by the way that you live.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that makes me think of be holy for I'm holy. Yes. And that we're so, that God is so distinct that when yes. we behave in a holy manner, we become so distinct that we can only be tied mm-hmm. to a God that is holy.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that is the kind of repeated refrain throughout Leviticus, which is mm-hmm. focused on the holiness of God. And also in Deuteronomy, there's, a, there's an interesting passage. Maybe I'll just read a moment from Deuteronomy 14. It says, you are the children of Yahweh, your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to Yahweh, your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, Yahweh has chosen you to be his treasured possession. And that that idea of being, being holy then is tied with a particular practice that we don't understand really well, but this cutting yourselves or shaving the front of your heads would be making some kind of physical demonstration of a connection with the dead or, a, or some kind of mourning practice that puts you in contact with the dead. And God says, no, you're, you're my holy people. So when people look at you, they should be thinking about me. And I think this ties in with the high priest, because Israel's high priest actually wore a sign on his forehead that said, holy, belonging to Yahweh. And here, this passage says that what's true of the high priest is true of the whole nation of Israel. They are a people wholly belonging to Yahweh. And, and so that invisible name that they carry is supposed to um, work its way out into everything they do.
0: Mm-hmm. As, as we think of bearing God's name and uh, us being created in the image of God, um, mm-hmm. what when, when we hear uh, that we're made in the image of God, how how do you understand what that means? Because I it's mm-hmm. it's uh I think it's important because we always say, like the Imago day, we're creating the image of God when yep. we're talking about different things or how people have been marginalized or thought mm-hmm. less than human. And I, I always think like in this day, like when we say people are made in the image of God, I think. We kind of conceptually, as Christians, kind of get it, but we're mm-hmm. saying things that I don't think people really understand the mm-hmm. weight of it. Yes. Um, can you just share with us uh, what what that means?
1: Absolutely. I uh, that's the question I've been asked probably more than any other since my book came out. People read about bearing God's name and they say, "Oh, that." reminds me of being made in God's image. Are they the same thing? Is bearing God's name and being God's image the same thing? And so I'm actually working on a prequel to this book that will be called Being God's Image. Mm. Um, I'm I'm a little behind schedule, hope to finish it uh, next summer. But here's in a nutshell what I think. The two concepts are similar in that both are representative roles. So when God appoints humanity as his image, they are humanity we as we collectively represent god to creation we carry on his creative work we, we're supposed to exercise stewardship over creation which means to maintain the conditions that make it possible for human flourishing for animal flourishing for for plant flourishing like that creation under our care would would flourish And so that's similar to bearing God's name, because that's also a representative role where where the people of God are representing him. But here's the difference. Every human being is the image of God, but only the covenant people bear God's name. So Mm. in the Old Testament, that would be Israel. They're the people who bear God's name. And then in the New Testament, that is expanded to include all followers of Jesus, no matter their ethnic background. Um, They don't you don't have to be Jewish to bear God's name. And that's clear from Acts chapter 15. So um, so I think that the two are similar, but it's as if God needed a people to bear his name because his image bearers didn't do their job. And so Mm -hmm. the the role of the people who bear God's name is to restore the rest of humanity to their um, their proper role and status in creation.
0: That's so good and so helpful, uh, a helpful distinction to think uh, Mm. of it in that way that we all bear Mm -hmm. God's image, but we don't Mm -hmm. all bear God's name. Yes. And um,
1: yeah, Uh, one thing that yeah, I just thinking of an illustration that I that might be helpful to people, I've heard people talk about that at the fall in Genesis, people lost the image of God or the image of God was damaged or destroyed. And I do not think that scripture teaches that. I think if you carefully look at the biblical text, the image of God is still intact. It doesn't go away after the fall. That's, that's evident in Genesis 5 and in Genesis 9. Um, but I do think that maybe it's somewhat like if you have a child who rebels against you, that child is no longer rightly related with you. You might have a broken relationship, but they're still your child. Like Mm -hmm. my daughter remains my daughter no matter what choices she makes. And no matter how often we talk to each other or how well we get along, there's nothing we can do to erase the kinship between us. That's just a fact of her birth. Um, So similarly, every human being is the image of God. Every human being has this intrinsic kinship with our creator that is meant to be expressed in a good relationship where we're carrying out the work that he's called us to do. But many, many humans are alienated from God. They're like a child who stopped talking to her parents.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so um, so I think that's helpful. It's, it's helpful because when I look around this world and I see people, it doesn't matter how they're living. It doesn't matter how like how moral they are or how intelligent they are or how kind they are, they are made in God's image. It doesn't matter whether they've committed a crime, like every human being is made in God's image. And so I think that that should be the fuel behind our ethics, the way that Mm -hmm. we treat other people. Um, Even just thinking of like criminal justice reform and police reform and all these things that are such urgent um, tasks today. Like for me, those need to be grounded in this understanding of every human being as the image of God with inherent dignity and inherent um, relational kinship with Yahweh.
0: Mm-hmm. That's extremely helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, for many people, some of the most one. Some of the most confounding aspects of the Bible is the Mosaic Law, mm-hmm. um, and specifically how it applies to our modern context. Yet, in your book, you seem to connect the law to the idea of mission. Can you, for yeah. our audience, explain a bit of how the law directly relates to the missions of mission of God's people?
1: Yes, this is probably one of the number one biggest misunderstandings of the Old Testament that I've encountered and that is this idea that well the Jews had to earn their salvation so God gave them the law and that's the way they earn their salvation but Christians don't have to earn salvation we get it free through Jesus by grace Mm -hmm. that is a huge um, misunderstanding of what's happening at Sinai when God gives the law to Moses the people have already been rescued from Egypt he's already saved saved them, redeemed them. He's already said, you are my people and mm-hmm. called them his treasured possession, kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Like that preceded the giving of the law. The law was a way for them to live out their new identity as the people of God. It was it was what their identity was or how their identity was supposed to be expressed in every area of life. So the fact that they're a kingdom of priests, the, the fact that they're a holy nation means they need to treat their employees a certain way. They need to, to honor family structures in certain ways. They need to take care of the poor and they need to um, treat foreigners in certain ways. Like all of the different specific laws are covering the various um, like domains of life, the various areas of life and showing what does it look like to be a people who bear God's name in each of those areas.
0: Mm hmm. That's so that's so helpful. Uh, you you briefly bring up an interesting phase, uh phrase called liminal space. And mm-hmm. can you explain what that means and why why it's relevant? Sure.
1: Yeah, this is a word that I learned in seminary, and I think I had to read it probably a dozen times and look it up a dozen times before it finally stuck. So um it's It's one word that I want to teach readers, although the rest of the book I try not to use any vocabulary that the average person wouldn't know. But I think (laughs) this one's helpful. So um, liminal space is um, related to the concept of liminality, which comes from a Latin word, limin, that means threshold. So if you can imagine a doorway, um, if you're standing right on the threshold of a building, like in the doorway, you're not inside and you're not outside, you're like right they're in between, and mm-hmm. so um, scholars use the phrase liminal space or liminality to describe those phases of life where we're kind of in between different different um, seasons, and where maybe our identity is undergoing some kind of transformation. So in the book, I talk about how God brings His people to the wilderness, and He keeps them there for quite a while because the wilderness is like His workshop. It's liminal space. They've left behind all of the structure, everything, like life as they knew it in Egypt. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Even though life in Egypt was horrible, at least they knew what to expect. And so you get some complaining in the wilderness because everything's become kind of undone for them. Like, who's in charge? Where do we find food? What are the rules? How does this all work? Um, Are we there yet? You know, Just all these Mm -hmm. frustrations that they experience in the wilderness are common to all of us who go through liminal seasons. And so- what I try to bring out in the book is that God has a work to do in us that can only be done in a state of dislocation. Mm. And that liminal space is that place where he is remaking us. He's stripped away all of the things that maybe we relied on or we, we derived our identity from so that it can be regrounded in him. And when I wrote the book, it was before the pandemic I had no idea that the entire world would be going through liminal space all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Everything that we know that we knew about how to do life has shifted in significant ways over the past year and a half. And I think it's a tremendous time for the church and for Christians to be remade like Maybe we've discovered that we've been relying, we've we've anchored our identity in the wrong things. And so this season of the pandemic has been one in which God is sort of sh- um shaving off our rough edges or s- smoothing <laughs> those out and helping us to to sort of recalibrate and remember whose we are.
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful and so so true and a good word for the space we're in now mm-hmm. where we're mm-hmm. unlearning everything. Uh <laughs> yeah that was in, in the season before the pandemic and it's funny yes. cuz we are in that space of like what is it going to look like now what yes. can we do give us the yes. setup yep. what is what are the new rules mm-hmm. um for how we do life mm-hmm. and it, we're all frustrated <laughs> about yep. like Absolutely. the new rules and how they apply and everybody wants to go back to before the pandemic yep. because you said even if it was we had our issues before but at least we knew <laughs> what it was like (laughs) we knew how to navigate those (laughs) issues so like you said the children of israel they were like egypt is horrible but we know what to expect yeah and so the new you don't know what to expect because it's new and you have to to learn that new space so i think that's this helpful in a way Mm. of framing like where people are and i also love (laughs) that you mentioned they were already saved Mm. when god gave them the law because i don't think we always recognize that yeah. like they're not working to get out of slavery right they've already been they've already been freed yeah and this is got to live as free people
1: it was god's gracious gift to bring them out of slavery he doesn't like show up at the border of egypt and say all right um here's the here's the deal if you want to get out of here you have to follow these 10 rules and, and then i'll get you out <laughs> he, he, there's no prerequisites they just mm-hmm. like he doesn't check to see if they have idols. Like the 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 only thing that sets them apart from those who who stay is the Passover celebration, where they where they just basically say, okay, I'm in, and they they you know wipe the blood on their doorposts. That blood is a symbol that they're trusting that what God said is true and that He really has the power and He wants to bring them out. But it's not any kind of work on their part. Mm-hmm. They're not actually proving their morality before He saves them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's as we as we think about like what was the as I, as you're saying that I'm like well what was the state of their morality when they were in Egypt mm. that that God has to give them obviously their morality post salvation is different than their morality in Egypt because if they had mm. a a God centered morality He wouldn't need to give them. Mm-hmm. A layout of how they're supposed to live. Mm-hmm. So I, I never even thought about the fact that they could have been living very uh Egypt-like. Yes. Uh,
1: yeah. For lack they, of a better phrase. Were, like all of us, they probably mm-hmm. absorbed the values of the empire and began mm-hmm. to live by those. I can't remember the exact passage, but I think there's a place in Joshua where um he's I think it might be Joshua 5, where he's circumcising the people and they are celebrating the Passover before they um, before they have fight any of the Canaanites. But I feel like either here or somewhere nearby, there's this injunction, like put away the idols that your parents have worshiped. Like there's a sort of a house cleaning that happens. I don't see it in chapter five, but it's somewhere in Joshua because I just
0: read it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's helpful. Cause I don't think, I think that in itself helps us to reframe mm. how we think about salvation. old oh, and New Testament. Because of this, is because I think there's this constant thing of God operated this way in the Old Testament and He operated this way in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with two separate mm-hmm. gods, mm-hmm. and this is a reframing. Like, no, He's always saved and then given instructions. Uh, he, while we were yet sinners, Christ died, yes. pursuing us even in our wickedness, old mm-hmm. and new. And so, I think that's that's helpful uh, yeah. that you share that. And Lisa, I feel
1: like, yeah, I just feel like this is kind of a, a persistent perennial problem with Christians is we know we're supposed to like the whole Bible and we're supposed to read the whole Bible. And it's like the text that guides our faith. But But most Christians just feel like they're all thumbs when it comes to the Old Testament. We don't know what to do with it and one of the things that i'm really passionate about is helping christians discover god's grace and his mercy and his his goodness on display in the old testament because i think when we can when we can understand that and capture that we see that it's the same god in both testaments in both testaments god is is taking sin seriously and he's showing great mercy Um, And he knows when it's the right time to hold someone accountable and when it's the right time to be patient and give more time to repent. But it's Mm -hmm. the same God. We don't have a contrast between Old and New Testaments.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. We just had uh, Esau. On mm-hmm. to talk about uh navigating the old testament as a Christian. Nice. And one of the things that he's he said that I thought was extremely helpful, he was like, When we think about the law, the law is not just commands, it includes stories, mm-hmm. it's like the first five books of the Bible, it's narrative, mm-hmm. it's poetry. Yep. Uh, and we think of when we hear law, it's like commands, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, Genesis is part of the law, and it's like a whole it's, narrative of the, yeah. the beginning of the world. You, yeah. you were going to say something.
1: Oh, I just, I'm, I, I'm so glad you brought up Esau because he says something in his book, Reading While Black, that, ha- that really grabbed me. And it was using the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel as kind of a metaphor for our wrestling with the biblical text. And Jacob would not let the angel go until he blessed him. And mm-hmm. in the same way, Esau says, I am going to keep wrestling with these hard texts in the Bible until they bless me. And sometimes Christians are just like, I don't know what to do with these texts. They're too difficult. But I think I've seen over and over again in my own life that when I press in and keep wrestling with it and keep asking, okay, how is God's character being shown in this passage? I feel like it's a weird passage or it's a hard passage or it seems objectionable. The more I learn about it, the more I sort of press in and refuse to let it go until I can see how is this the word of God? How is it inspired and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training and righteousness? Then then the text begins to come alive for me and I see, oh, I was looking at it from the wrong angle before. And that's how I was missing the grace of God.
0: Yes, that is so I think so helpful. We're actually we have an event. Uh, that we, uh, it'll be announced by the time this airs, but mm-hmm. January 20th, we're hosting Problematic Passages Part 2. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the first one with uh, Joe Vitale and Esau McCauley, oh, great. Um, no but I we think. had a Q&A where people could just send in all their questions mm-hmm. about the problematic passages in mm-hmm. the text around women, slavery, genocide. Yep. And people really enjoyed that. So we did that during the pandemic, but we're doing it in person in Chicago, January 20th.
1: Oh, uh, so fantastic. save the
0: day. Um, but what you're saying goes beautifully with that because the pressing mm-hmm. into the hard things. And I think mm-hmm. one of the ways we're going to engage people that have, may have left the church or left Christianity is to it, press into those hard spaces mm-hmm. that they thought were off limits yes. and show them the richness of God's word in the Old mm-hmm. and New Testament. I mm-hmm. My favorite part of the Bible is the Old Testament. My favorite mm-hmm. book of the Bible is Ezekiel, which is oh, so nice. random.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. So, so I love, I love the Old Testament and uh, the richness of it. So I'm so, um happy mm-hmm. that you're you're bringing uh, that to bear in this, mm-hmm. in your book and in your work. Um, mm-hmm. Our final question for you is: What are some modern uh, modern ways that Christians can better bear God's image?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So I think one of the first things is just like a a shift in our thinking about how our faith is actually not private and individual, but it's public and corporate. Mm
0: -hmm. So we
1: often, as Americans, think of ourselves as sort of an island. Um, At least this is true in white communities. I don't know if it's also true of African American communities as much. I think there's more of a sense of community there. Um, But But we need to get away from this idea that like what I do is between me and God. What Mm -hmm. I do is like nobody else's business because the Bible actually shows quite strikingly what I do is everybody's business. And because I belong to God and therefore serve as his representative among the nations, everything I do matters because I'm being watched and people are assessing God and Jesus and Christianity based on what they see from me. And so I just feel like it just raises the bar overall for our obedience, not because we're earning our salvation, but because we have the most important mission in all of history to carry out. Um, So, I, I mean, when we think of this current moment, I think of social media and just engagement online as one area that we need to think more about. What does my voice say about the character of god how how does my how does the way that i interact with people either draw people to the lord or push them away and we have a lot of loud voices right now and i think a tendency in social media spaces to not treat people with dignity but to sort of attack the person um to say things we would never say face-to-face to someone. And so I guess one, one area that we could really think about is how am I bearing God's name in the public sphere when it comes to online engagement? And then am I treating other people as if they are the image of God? And if, as if they are created by God and meant to steward creation on his behalf. Like we, we've been drawn into a partnership Uh, One of the most striking things to me about Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, is that he gives them together the the task of, um, actually at the end of chapter 1, to fill the earth and subdue it and to rule over creation. But never is there a command to rule over each other. And Mm. and it seems like we've got this sort of... um, I don't know uh, our pastor on Sunday used the analogy of a rap battle <laughs> like um <laughs> trying to like talk up ourselves and talk down the other people to to sort of assert ourselves um and and I think it's just we we just really need to to hang on to the truth that every human being is made in the image of God and if I wouldn't say this to them face to face then I shouldn't be saying it online and if I if if the the spirit in which I'm speaking is fueled by fear or anger or mistrust rather than faith, hope, and love, then that's, then those are areas of my life that need to be refined.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, I am, I think that is so crucial in this current moment when people Mm -hmm. talk at, talk about, but don't talk Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. and God calls us to live, holy going back to our first part and dis- yeah. distinct and set apart and countercultural mm-hmm. and we can't do things like the culture does it or talk to people online like the culture does it mm-hmm. we have to be holy even in our social media engagement so that yeah. is, yeah i think a, a necessary word where can people get your book um dr imes
1: uh, it's on amazon or from from whatever bookstore you can you can order it from any bookstore Um, I also have a YouTube channel. It's been a little bit dormant while we've been uh, moving from Canada to Southern California for this job. So hopefully I'll start up soon uh, releasing videos every Tuesday called Torah Tuesday that just help people engage with the biblical text. And I I just want to share like cool things that
0: I'm learning along the way. So That's awesome. And your social media handles as well?
1: Yeah, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I'm pretty easy to find in both places. Um, Just Carmen Imes. And then um, I have a blog. And like I said, on YouTube as well. So Google me and it'll be easy to find me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Imes, for joining us. This has been a rich conversation. Um, Thank you. you all for tuning in to another episode of the G3 Project Podcast. As always you can catch all our episodes at g3project.org You can uh, subscribe on any of your favorite uh, podcast platforms follow us on YouTube we're on all social media at g3project. We have a new series coming out, Why Don't Go Season 2 we have some cool events coming uh, that you want to stay tuned to see. Remember you can get merch uh, our curriculum through Eyes of Color, we have another curriculum coming out Uh, in a couple months uh, Courageous Conversations so stay tuned for that Uh, and you can watch Courageous Conversations on demand at uh, all of those links are on our website at g 3 projectorg there's a lot on there so definitely check it out remember also before I forget if you would like to become a monthly supporter you can do so by going to g 3 projectorg every gift helps equip and remember here at the g 3 Project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it Thank you for tuning in and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher.